This episode of Blackwell is brought to you by Sacktown Interactive. Check out their game, Breaking Ba, now available on the App Store and Google Play. This show is also brought to you by patrons. Patron support helps this show make it what it is. And if you want to support us, visit patreon.com forward slash Blackwell Files podcast. What do you get as a patron? Patrons get things like bonus episodes, commercial-free early release, and a shout-out on the show. Your support helps us make this show stronger and allows us to bring you more stories. Step into the world of the paranormal with Alex Blackwell. These are the Blackwell Files. The table was lined with cloth made of crimson and black damask and dotted with fine china dating back to the late 18th century. Polished silverware and spotless crystal glasses were placed at each of the 60 play settings, like the meal we're about to consume, were meant for a visit from the queen herself, and not the Blackwells who gathered around the great hall of Maury House, the ancestral manor of all Blackwells, before it was known as the Institute. The house was set upon a steep cliff overlooking a rock beach on the main coast, where the waves crashed so violently that as children we were warned against boating or swimming in the sea below. The house still served as a residence for the elders and younger children, but the older ones were now housed in the modern building down the hill that looked more like a sterile scientific complex. It was where most of the archives were now held and temperature-controlled rooms to preserve them for future generation of Blackwells. Since the Institute saw us as a family, perpetuating the sentiment, even by ensuring all members of the organization shared the Blackwell name, we engaged in certain rituals. Every year we held an annual dinner for Samhain, like some families held Christmas. When the moon was at eight degrees in Scorpio, in accordance with the older occult calendars, which meant it fell shortly after Halloween. Not on Halloween, like it was celebrated in some neo-pagan traditions. I walked around the table, examining the names on each place settings. It was from Blackwells all over the world and multitudes of finishing classes, such as archivist, librarian, field operative. We came on a rotating basis, receiving invitations on alternate years until we were either permitted to withdraw due to age, elder status, or infirmity. 25 men and 25 women. The Institute was still very binary and old-fashioned when it came to gender identity. We had a number of trans and non-binary members, but like the antiquated birds they were, the elders refused to adapt. Ten of the spaces were left unmarked. They were for the dead family members to join us. They usually avoided putting those of us who could sense the dead or had any form of mediumship too close to those settings. Dead Blackwells could be rather unpleasant mostly because the ones that came through often did not die peacefully in their sleep. It was accepted that the tradition of laying plates for the dead was more to honor those that were killed in the line of serving the Institute. Myrna spotted me the moment they, she stepped into the great hall and made a beeline over. We hugged the moment Myrna got close enough. Besides Tyr, she was one of my closest friends and the only one of my brothers and sisters I kept in touch with for social purposes, not just for work. 
Growing up, we'd shared rooms from the time we were four until I got my assignment in the field and Myrna was pulled into the archives to serve as one of the librarians. It seemed to suit her. Myrna never really liked the grimmer aspects of field research. You look fantastic! Though, you know, Grandmare is going to have a fit that you once again refuse to follow the dress code, Myrna said, pointing to the black tux I wore. The invitation stipulated black tie attire, which meant ball gowns for women and tuxes for men. I'd opted to wear the tux because it was more comfortable and versatile than a gown, but Myrna wore a gorgeous emerald ball gown that complimented her eyes. I'm not worried about her. I think we've come to an understanding. I rebel within reason, and they get mostly a compliant field agent, I replied. I think Ranmare worries about you. You were her favorite, you know. <laughs> I snorted. Grandmare was the title of the highest-ranking female elder, while the male was known as Grand Père. There was nothing familiar or warm about the title, and definitely no true blood ties. Who do you think will be chosen tonight? I asked. She shrugged. You know, I'm not privy to that. I'm eligible just like you. You know, Tyr was also chosen last year. I didn't, I replied. It wasn't like Tyr not to tell me, but if the mirror test didn't yield anything we're talking about, he'd have no reason to bring it up. Tyr wasn't at this year's dinner. In the last decade, our rotation had fallen on opposite years. Perhaps it was for the best. The mirror test was daunting enough, mainly because no one knew what really happened. Every year, ten were called in honor of the ten dead we left spaces for. They all went into a room, and either they came out or didn't. It was ritual sacrifice at its finest. The dinner gong sounded, and we all took our seats around the table. Grandmare and Grandpere took their places at the head of the table. They sat, and we all followed. The meal consisted of seven courses, all consumed by candlelight, and accompanied by a varied wine selection to serve to us by apprentices, the teens who were still in the middle of their education. The meal was silent, save for the clanking of silverware against the china and occasional cough or throat clearing. I can't imagine any of us really wanted to be there, but much like any family with a tradition, we grinned and did what was expected of us. After dinner, Grandmare and Grandpere rose. It didn't matter if you were done with your food or not. The apprentices began to clear plates, and we were all expected to stand and follow as they led the procession of eligible Blackwells to the labyrinth in the garden. We traversed the space, our way lit by torches lining the brick-paved path, making our way to the center. The symbolism of the procession representing a trip beyond the veil, crossing the line from the mundane to the land of the dead and entering the dark of the year. In the center, there was a fire and a box. The box held white slips of paper. The names of all the eligible Blackwells were inside. From the time we turned 25 until our 40th birthday, we were considered eligible for the mirror test, the rules of which were set nearly two centuries ago when the mirror was brought to the house. No one knew what magic bound the mirror, but whatever it was, it necessitated this annual test. Some years, all the Blackwells who'd undergone it returned to the labyrinth. Other years, one would be missing. There was no way to predict the outcome or who would be the one to never return. 
Grandpere drew the first name announcing it, then Grandmere. This went on, each of us anxiously waiting for our names to be called. Grandmere pulled the final name. Her eyes locked on mine like, and something that looked almost apologetic crossed her face. I licked my lips, took a deep breath, and readied myself to step forward. Marnie, she said at last. A strange mixture of relief and dread washed over me. Marnie was not built to face whatever was in that mirror. I was. It was my entire job. I stepped forward. Grandmare, I said, getting the attention of everyone. They all turned to look. I volunteer to take Marnie's place. Grandmare shook her head. You cannot, Alexandra. I don't understand. Others have volunteered in the past, I argued. You may not, Grandpere jumped in and was firm in his assertion. Marnie squeezed my hand, a smile on her face. I'll be fine, Alex, and I'll tell you all about it when I'm done. She just accepted this turn of events the way a good Blackwell would with grace, despite being woefully unprepared to defend herself if whatever lay in that room was malevolent. I couldn't understand how she was considered eligible for the mirror test if she wasn't a field operative. She kept records. She preserved historical documents, books, and cases for the living. The apprentices in the maze began to light a row of lanterns set on the stone walkway. It reminded me a lot of the way some people lit their houses for Christmas, except at the end of the lit driveways and walkways there was a door leading to a warm house and a Christmas tree with presents. Not a dark room with a mirror and the unknown. Just like at dinner, we all grew quiet. This was part of the ritual. No one would speak until the end of the test, and said, those of us not selected would hold a silent vigil in respect for the dead Blackwells that came before and those who may be lost to the test. Snow began to fall as I watched Marnie walk away with the others. I said a silent prayer to the universe. Ten left the labyrinth, and hopefully this year ten would return. If not... At least Marnie would be the one who came back. The time dragged on and snow began to stick. This was the part I hated. The waiting. Waiting for something or nothing at all. It was possibly even worse than the suspense of waiting to hear whether or not my name would be one of the ones chosen each year I was eligible. Now that Tyr had been called, he was no longer eligible. He never had to attend Salwain again. And Marnie, once she returned, wouldn't have to either. But she would, because Marnie would know I was attending until either my name was called or I aged out. And she would do it to keep me company, to laugh, and to catch up. The first of the testees emerged. Gillian took his place with the rest of us. His expression was neutral. If he saw anything... His face gave nothing away. 
One by one they returned, until none but Marnie remained beyond the labyrinth's borders. I shivered from the cold. We were not dressed adequately for the weather, but a little suffering, the elder said, was the least we could do in respect of the rest. Someone came ambling down the path. It was not Marnie, but Taunt Rosemary, an elder. She walked over to Grandmare and Grandpere, then stood with the apprentices. Grandpere extinguished the flame, and Grandmare rang the bell three times. Sowing was over, and so was the test. Everyone began to file out of the maze and back to the manor. We were meant to return down the same path we entered, but I couldn't. Marnie couldn't have been gone, not when she shouldn't have been called in the first place. I took the path of dying lanterns to the old wing of the manor. We didn't use this site anymore, not since the 1970s, except during Salwain. So it didn't have the modern amenities of the rest of the house. It wasn't abandoned like some wings in older homes. Apprentices still cleaned this section of the home and kept it looking neat and tidy. Some of the furniture was covered in white sheets to protect it from dust, others in plastics, as was in vogue at the time it was still being utilized. Marnie and I hated dusting the rooms of the old wing. The plastic on the furniture was easy enough to wipe down, but still took time. One room could take an hour or more to thoroughly dust and clean to the standards of the elders, and we'd do it under supervision to ensure we weren't slacking off. I reached the stairwell leading up to the second story on this side of the house. It was a decadent mahogany with leaves and vines carved into the banister. The one in the main hall was more sumptuous than this with gold gilding. I ascended the stairs two at a time, anxious to find Marnie. The mirror test was conducted in a room at the end of the hallway. It was the only room that was not cleaned by apprentices. Hell, I don't think it was cleaned at all. The room was always locked, and the few times Marnie, Tyr, or I snuck into the side of the manor to attempt to get in, we failed. No amount of lock picking did the trick. The lock was enchanted. Tonight, it would be open. The only time the door would be unlocked. I turned the doorknob and pushed it open. The room was well lit and clean. Dark wood panels covered the walls and parquet flooring on cover the floor. A heavy wood chair in the Victorian style sat in front of an ordinary full-length mirror. According to the elder stories, the mirror was as old as the house, putting it around 400 years old. But it didn't look more than 60. Clearly, it had been well-preserved or taken care of due to magic. I reached for the mirror, running my fingers over the cool glass, waiting for something, anything, to jump out. I waited for the low vibration of magic or the echoes of a spirit newly made. Nothing. There was nothing. As if this mirror were just another mirror and the room were just an empty room and a musty old house. There was no sign of Marnie, no impression of her. It was as though she was never there. Marnie! 
I shouted, removing my hands from the mirror. I listened, hoping against my better judgment to hear her. It wasn't a big surprise when I didn't. And I felt stupid for even allowing that fleeting hope in. I knew better. Nothing in my world ever worked out that way. Alexandra. Grandmare's voice was sharp behind me. I turned. She stood a mere foot from me. I was so absorbed in looking for any psychic imprint Marnie or whatever was in the mirror could have left behind. I didn't hear her come in. Where is she? I asked. Grandma shrugged. She sat in the chair. The year my name was called. Do you know how many returned? I shook my head. None, she replied. None except me. Why was Marnie chosen? She wasn't an operative. She wasn't, Grandmare said. You were, but Marnie made a deal. I was speechless. I felt my legs weakened beneath me and was forced to sit on the hard wooden floor at Grandmare's feet. She continued, You are safe now. Marnie came to me three days ago and said if yours was drawn, she volunteered to take your place. There are no rules written against it, so I allowed it. Since your name was drawn, you are now ineligible to be called again, as you well know. Provided you don't die in the field, you will someday earn your right to be an elder. And subject the next generation to sacrifice? I don't think so, I replied. She gave me a patronizing smile. The kind a mother would give to a young child. I thought the same way as you. But as I grew older, I learned that some things must be done for the greater good, and not everything is clear and black and white. I couldn't process what she was saying. If anything, I was considered rebellious. How could I also be an elder? Then it struck me. Grandmare had survived the mirror test. Now that I was ineligible, she could tell me what she saw. What did you see when you did the test? I asked. Grandmare patted her hair as though her scalp itched under her wig. Myself. I sat in this very chair and watched the mirror until the elders came to retrieve me. And all I saw was myself. I let her words sink in for a moment. Do you know what we always say, Alexandra? What we always teach you kids? Grandmare asked. Knowing oneself is tantamount to being a Blackwell. I repeated in verbatim as the muscle memory of the phrase penetrated my very core. Grandmare nodded. Perhaps that is the key to the test. Being certain and unconflicted, knowing oneself. I don't know. But I sat there, and all I saw was myself. I didn't know what to say. There was nothing. 
So I asked a simple question. What would you do now, if you were me? Grandmare took a moment to consider it, and then got out of the chair, walked to the door, and returned with a satchel. She handed it to me. Take these and go home, Alexandra. I think a rest is in order. I took the bag and quickly glanced inside. It was a couple of books and some papers. I assumed they were personal in nature. Marnie's. Thank you, I said. Despite my disapproval and my lingering questions, I knew she was doing me a solid. And I knew better than to look a gift horse in the mouth. I left the mansion that night and boarded the first flight back to Michigan. I'd find out what happened to Marnie if it took the rest of my life. But for now, I had to live with the knowledge that my friend was just gone. As I sat in my seat, a flight attendant handed me a drink. The cheap whiskey burned, but it reminded me that I was still here. And I was Myrna's best bet. I took the book out of the bag, opened it to the front page, running my fingers over her full true name, Myrna Blackwell, Marnie for short, and began to study up on ritual sacrifices on the eastern seaboard. enjoyed this episode of the Blackwell Files podcast. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Blackwell Files podcast. The Blackwell Files is a production of Sacktown Interactive Incorporated, all rights reserved.